0: Please turn with me to Luke chapter twenty three. Luke chapter twenty three, beginning in verse thirteen. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested And he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, how indeed we pray that you would have mercy upon us as we consider this wicked deed of the people, people which in many ways are tied to us and we to them. And, Heavenly Father, we pray, therefore, that this word which you say will never be broken, this word which always does that which you intend for it to do, to judge sinners and to bring repentant sinners to life, we pray, Lord, that it would in your hands do so this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, uh, carry on into Luke chapter 23 to the section covering verses 16 to 25. Now, this section continues with Pilate. Uh, It's remarkable to me just how much material we have in the Gospels of this this wicked man, Pilate. But that is, of course, because of his office. He was the only one who could put someone to death in Jerusalem. And beyond that, his office as Roman governor, both before the emperor, who was ultimately appointed by God, and before God himself, was to do justice and to uphold order in the place that he was appointed over. To do justice and to uphold order. That is what the civil government is established to do. Now, Roman governors, like Pilate, had to walk a pretty fine line sometimes because those things at times could seem to be at odds. They needed to be ruthless in their enforcement of the Roman law. And Pilate himself was called by multiple sources to be inflexible, merciless, and obstinate. We have to keep that in mind. Yet also he needed to make sure that he wouldn't mishandle a situation so much as to undermine his own position or undermine the Roman position, which was always a potential issue. And he would, in fact, eventually be deposed for doing precisely that, being too ruthless, misjudging a situation and losing the support of the people to an even greater extent to which the governor eventually – or the the emperor – uh, turned him out for so doing. Well, Pilate had plainly declared, speaking of his job of doing justice, he had plainly declared no less than five times that Jesus was innocent. Yet, this large and increasingly aggressive crowd, they were not satisfied with that. And so, eventually, Pilate, unworthily, unrighteously, in essence, puts the choice into their hands and gives them the choice between these two men, Jesus the Christ or Barabbas. We're going to hear more about Barabbas, but Barabbas was not a good man. In many ways, he was the precise opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ, down into the the precise detail of the opposite in, in the case of his innocence. Jesus Christ was perfectly innocent, and though he was accused of insurrection, he certainly was not and rather lent his word and authority to the legitimacy of the situation by saying, Paying unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. But Barabbas was a rebel. In fact, in today's parlance, he was a terrorist, and he was guilty in murder in a recent insurrection there. And he was every bit, if there's anyone who ever belonged on that Roman cross, it was surely Barabbas. And now the people have the choice in their hands as to who goes there. And that choice is epitomized perhaps most succinctly in another gospel, in Matthew twenty-seven, seventeen. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? That's the choice. Friends, that's the choice. That's the name of our sermon. It is the people's choice. And we know which way that they went in that choice. We know that they went with Barabbas. And this story before us is an essential part of how it was that the prophecies concerning Christ were fulfilled, how it was that Christ went to the cross, what things, what circumstances God used to bring him there, but beyond that it tells us something about man, sinful, wicked human beings. It tells us about his enmity against his maker. Here we have the test case before us. What would God do in allowing his people to make this choice. Amazing thing. It's amazing to me that judgment did not immediately fall on them for the choice that they made. It did eventually. But what would these people do? More interestingly, I suppose, the people when they had God in their hands. There is the God-man, the Son of God, eternal Son of God made man of Christ before and in their hands. He, he was in... In custody, before them, and and Pilate had abdicated responsibility and said, "You, the people, get to choose. What are they going to do with the God Man? The choice of life or death is in their hands. And you know what? Beyond that, it prompts in us. It prompts us to consider the choice that is before us. Of whom do we choose?" God has given to us a different sort of choice. We cannot, if we wanted to, bring again the Lord Jesus Christ to shame and humiliation and death on the cross. Thankfully, that was once and for all done. The choice does remain in us as to what we will do with this man. And will we choose the way of rebellion? And will we choose sin? Or will we choose the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, this is the people's choice. And I have four points. First, it was necessary to release one. Second, Barabbas the terrorist, question mark. Third, or Christ the King. And fourth, the people choose Barabbas. So first of all, it was necessary to release one. It says in verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Verse 17, for it was necessary for him to release. One to them at the feast. It was necessary for that to happen. Now we ask the question: Why is it necessary? What 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 is the the story here? Well, it's a long-standing custom. Uh, Matthew twenty-seven fifteen puts it this way: Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. It was accustomed to that. And it would have been very unwise with this volatile large crowd who were there at this religious festival, which also ended up being sort of a nationalistic festival uh, at the Passover. It would have been very wise, unwise for the Roman governor not to have honored this custom abruptly. So it was in that sense necessary. But I think it's necessary in another sense beyond that as well. Many things are employed by God in order to highlight, to demonstrate, to point to some aspect of the work of redemption. And this Passover feast, friends, is all about the release of prisoners. We have just been considering that in the book of Exodus. And Now, let me say that these prisoners, the fact that they were released is is no proof that they were utterly innocent before and during and after. We see that they are not innocent, that they are in fact Sinners. So that's not the issue. What is demonstrated in the Exodus is rather that someone else is put to death so that the prisoners might be released. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God dies in their stead, and therefore these prisoners, unworthy as they might be, get to go free. And here we come to the great antithyp, to the thing at which the Passover was, was pointing all those years, every single year as they celebrated that Passover they thought about the release of prisoners and they think about the the death of the Lamb of God and now we come to it and how wrong would it be for there not to be some prisoner released even physically as we know these things ultimately are, are spiritual. Well, again, let me say that is precisely what this is pointing to, what the cross is all about spiritually. That those who are utterly unworthy of release, indeed of Worthy not only of being prisoners, but of of those who ought to die. And the justice of God in his wrath eternally in hell. That those who are unworthy are released. Now the question is, who's going to be released? I say the custom is that it will be the people's choice. And I think as Pilate is trying to extricate himself from the situation, you know, he takes anything at hand. When he finds out he's from Galilee, I mentioned this last time, he said, "Oh Herod,, oh, he's from Galilee. He's, I'll send him to Herod, who happens to be here in Jerusalem, and, and that will get this off my hands. He was not a godly man, but he was a superstitious one, and we know that his wife had had a dream which had to have nothing to do with this righteous man, and he would certainly certainly have, have shared that superstition, if not fear of God, and he wanted nothing to do with him if possible. But that, that didn't work. Trying to convince him he was innocent didn't work. And now there's the custom of releasing one. And he says, well, look, I, I'll forget about you leaders. I know you leaders hate Jesus, and you brought him here because of envy. And I know good and well, and you know good and well, that he's innocent of these things. He's no insurrectionist. I know one when, when I see one. I've got one in front of me. And now I'll give the choice to the people. Because just recently... I heard multiple reports of their acclaiming him when he came to Jerusalem, of laying down palm branches, I think, and their clothed, And they put him on a donkey, and they brought him in, and they said, Hosanna to the Son of David. So maybe the people will now let him go. And that's, that's the situation that is before us. And so again, that verse in Matthew twenty-seven, seventeen, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? It even reminds them to make sure that the stakes and the identities are well-known. Jesus who is called Christ. Well, that's the first point. It was necessary to release one in multiple reasons. The tradition, the larger spiritual picture, And for Herod himself, as he's come to this situation, it was necessary. And our choices are before us. Our second point is to consider Barabbas the terrorist. Is he the one? In verse 18, they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. And we find out a little bit about him. Verse 19, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for for murder. And at the end of our passage, in verse 25, he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. That's repeated there twice for emphasis in order that we might understand exactly what sort of man Barabbas was and what he represented. Mark 15.7 says, And there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Mark, or sorry, Matthew twenty-seven sixteen says at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Friends, you have to understand, the, these people weren't so positive about the Roman occupying force that were, were there. And it prompted zealots, it prompted movements of armed insurrection to try to get rid of them. And there were multiple such attempts until all such things came to an end in AD 70 when ultimately the city and the temple were destroyed. But this man was notorious. He was a ringleader. And those three crosses there were for him and his lieutenants, Barabbas and his main man on his left and on his right, which they had finally got. SEAL Team 6 had been sent in and they had found Osama bin Laden and there he was in chains before them. He was a terrorist, an armed insurrectionist, guilty of murder, just as any terrorist in our day. And I, let me say, notice that Barabbas was actually seditious; he actually was a threat to the Roman government. The absolute opposite, as I mentioned, of Christ, falsely accused of being seditious, and tried in the in the he in the in the, uh, the the people come to him. And they they accuse him before Pilate of being a rebel and being seditious. Yet when given the chance, who do they want? They want Osama bin Laden. They want Barabbas. The hypocrisy is unbelievable. Justice more than demanded the death of this man Barabbas. But in addition, as one who is a violent insurrectionist, if the state ever, ever, ever had any interest in meeting out capital punishment to someone, it was certainly this man Barabbas. Well within their rights and beyond their rights, they needed to end this man's life. And if a people cared, ever cared, the slightest for justice, they would surely not allow this murderer to escape. Now, that's one choice. Is it going to be Barabbas the terrorist? Thirdly, is it going to be Jesus the Christ? That's the other choice. And again, Herod says, verse 14: You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and maybe you know, maybe you've made a mistake because. I don't think so. Indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accuse him. Maybe you're wrong. You've, I think you've made a mistake here. You think that he's done these things. I've examined him, and I don't think he is. No, neither did Herod. Actually, I, I, we sent him for a second opinion. And neither, nor, neither me nor Herod actually have any particular axe to grind in this. Uh, we're not softies. We're ruthless dictators. Uh, and we've examined him, and we haven't found anything deserving of death. So in verse 16, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Not that it was right for him to chastise. I guess it was a sop to the people. Well, again, in Matthew 27, 17, Whom do you want to rele- me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ. And their choice would not be a matter of ignorance. As the word Christ is ringing in their ears, it's not going to be a matter of ignorance that they make their decision. Because the people had seen his miracles. They had heard his gracious words. They had recently borne him witness that he was the son of David. And they would even hear the words from Pilate, not only that he was the Christ... But John 19.15 records that Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Those words, which were both true. He was Christ. He was their king. Those words were echoing and resounding in their ears. Do you want me to release to you Jesus the Christ? Well, friends, let me say, if on the one hand Barabbas was the most worthy of of death that any prisoner could have been before a Roman governor, that the Jewish people could have no more worthy and right object of their mercy, no more worthy and right object of their justice, rather, to say, no, no, do not dare think of laying a hand on our king and on our messiah release to us jesus the christ they had every reason to do so in the interest of justice and in their own self-interest that they hand back that the roman government released to them their king but we know fourthly the people choose barabbas that was their choice. In verse 18, they cried out all, all at once. One wonders how it is even possible at this point, as he is speaking to the people, that they are speaking with one voice. And friends, we know that ultimately behind these things lies Satan. You see, the, the, the leaders have stirred up the people, but Satan has, has stirred up the leaders to stir up the people. And they are now speaking with one voice, all the same, Away with this man. Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Release to us this man. Verse 20, Pilate therefore wishing to release Jesus. Friends, let's just dwell on that one more moment. One wonders how they could not but be moved by this ruthless dictator. Showing compassion or the interest of justice in anyone of their own nation. Let alone one who was called Christ. One who was called their king. And he is obviously wanting, desirous of letting him go. But they were unmoved by this. And rather in verse 21 they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. And we have it repeated just twice in our text, but I suspect that actually this stands for a longer sort of chant, of this, the kind that you'd hear. Maybe at a football match, I don't know. But of These bloodthirsty, wicked people crying out and making their voice known, every one of them, that they wanted Christ crucified because they had chosen Barabbas. That was their way. They, they didn't choose the Lord Jesus Christ and his spiritual kingdom, in his words of life, in his mission of the Lamb of God. All who hear me, all who are of other truth, hear me and follow me. They didn't choose that way. Rather, they had chosen the way of rebellion and insurrection against God and against man. That was their choice. And they would continue to follow that path until it brought them to their destruction in AD 70 rather than choosing Christ. Verse 22, then he said to the third time, the third time, actually, if you count it all up, it's no less than five times that Pilate had one way or another declared his innocence. But he said to them the third time, now that he's pleading with them, why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. What evil has he done? And at this point, they are not bothering to try to bring any particular evidence because there is none. He has not done any evil. And here's the two men. One of the most wicked men ever to walk, an enemy of God and of the Romans and ultimately of the people because his way was the way of death. And it was going to be their destruction. And on the other hand, they have Jesus Christ. And the answer is, what evil has he done? The answer is, he's not done any evil. But we hate him nonetheless. And we want him dead. Crucify, crucify, crucify. In verse 23, they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. Again, Pilate's no weakling. He is there in his robes of power and state, and he is surrounded by his guard and their pomp and circumstance and glittering weapons. And he knows how to put down insurrections. Indeed, as I say, he was deposed eventually for being too brutal. The voices, the vicious voices, the insistent voices of these people prevailed against them. And so in verse 24, Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. That was their choice. That was their request. They didn't want Christ. They wanted Barabbas. And so he released to them the one they requested. Do you think the word of God is trying to emphasize this choice? I I think that it is hitting us over the head with the fact that this was their choice. They didn't want Christ. They did want Barabbas. And the one who is released to them is the one they requested. Again, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And so they choose Barabbas and in so doing they they don't merely just condemn christ by default that would have been sufficient if they said look i can only release you one of the two which one do you want and if they'd said uh, barabbas they still would have been guilty of murdering the lord jesus because by default you have chosen one and you you've decided the, the fate of the other that's is not left to mere alternatives They choose the death of Christ. That is their choice. They condemn the Lord Jesus, their own king. And that is why Peter is so just and right when he preaches in Acts 2, when he says in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know let me just pause there just for a moment all men know of the existence of God and all who have heard this gospel somewhere deep inside you know the truth of it as you yourselves know Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Lawless indeed, friends, lawless, quite apart from any justice, the opposite of it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is their choice. Peter was not making that up. Sometimes for those who are new to this, haven't read the Bible much, you say, what is he talking about? They didn't crucify Christ, Pilate did. No. These people who were fresh from the crowds of Jerusalem had lifted up their voice along with the rest of them. And that is what brought the death of Christ more than anything else. You understand, if it was left to Pilate, he would have been let go. You understand, if it was left to the leaders, he would have been let go. And if it was left merely to a minority of the people and the competing voices, we want, we want Barabbas, we want, we want Jesus, he would have been let go. But They know all of them spoke with one voice in the most insistent terms. And that is what brought about most proximately the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was the people's choice. Now some applications. The first one is to repent and believe. Because that, friends, is, is Peter's glorious application at the end of it. As a king... I am amazed that the the Lord enabled the world to carry on another moment beyond hearing those words. In his own capital city, the city of his choice, the city of his name, where his people, his temple was still there, where his presence resided. And to hear the crowd resounding crucify him. And yet in his mercy they continue another day. And then when Peter comes in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to these people Maybe you would be expecting by now that the end of it is, well, you thought you got away with it. But do you know what? Jesus is raised from the dead. And he is taking in his hands his glittering sword and he's going to slay you all as you so richly deserve. It could have been the end of his sermon. That could have been his application. It could have been three points. Jesus murdered. It was you who did it. Now he's risen and you're going to die. But it wasn't. The application was, repent, every one of you, and be saved, be baptized, be saved. God is extending mercy upon even you. And friends, that's the prototype of all who ever believe. The prototype is those who shared in the death of Christ, because truly, we have. The death of Christ was necessary for many reasons, but it was for your sin that he died. And we, by mere connection of the human race, being part corporately of this human race, surely shared in that aspect of it. But his his application is not prepare to meet your doom. His application, when they say, when they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sins friends I don't know what you've done for you who are outside and have come of guests I have no idea what you've done even for those in the church we're not always so clairvoyant or so omniscient as to be able to know that which goes on in the privacy of your hearts and homes you may be guilty of great sin Is it any greater than the sin of those who actually brought to death the innocent son of God? No. No no greater sin could be. But the application of Peter's sermon and of mine is that you also can repent. And you also can be washed in the blood of Christ. And you also can be made perfectly forgiven and right in his sight. And that none of you need carry your sin guilt another moment. But rather, you can be completely and fully forgiven now as you come to Christ, repenting and believing. You know, let me say, it was beyond the people because ultimately God made a choice too. You understand that? God made a choice to let Barabbas go and to put his son to grief. And that is a picture of the gospel. God could have reversed that if he wanted. But what a picture to us. The very worst of sinners imaginable was let go scot free. Can you imagine that? It's Osama bin Laden in chains. SEAL Team 6 is around him, and, and there's a cross already erected. There, there it is with his name on it, as it were. And he walks free. And someone else takes his place. Beloved, that is the gospel. Repent and believe. Secondly, I would say do not follow a crowd. Don't follow the crowd. You know, Exodus 23.2 says, You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. That's because crowds are so easily manipulated. All men are wicked. But crowds eventually work to a lower and lower common denominator among them. And that which is wicked and evil prevails among them. And so we know, Mark fifteen eleven, that the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. So a few men within their evil and wicked agenda were able to stir up the whole crowd to do such an evil thing. Well, friends... Crowds are problematic for that reason. This is the great challenge of you young people in schools. If you go to a school of any kind or university, the problem with those schools or universities is that there are crowds. Doesn't matter what good purpose they might exist for. There, are, if there is a crowd, there is a potential for great evil. And therefore, my application to you, my challenge to you, is not to follow that crowd in doing evil. of a crowd could do such a thing a crowd which earlier had had what had been worshiping the lord jesus and welcoming it into jerusalem and now they're shouting crucify friends be careful of the crowd don't be desirous of being acclaimed by that crowd rather resist and be willing to stand alone great book isn't it we were mentioning at the at the um Conference, this book by J.C. Ryle, which I, or a book by Ian Murray concerning J.C. Ryle, which I hope will make a future book of the quarter. Excellent book, and it's called Prepared to Stand Alone. There's a lot of crowd in J.C. Ryle's day as well, going away to formalism and Romanism on the one hand and liberalism on the other, but he was willing to stand alone against these voices, and so should we. Thirdly, and finally, I would say that you should choose the Lord's Supper. You know, this this sacrament always, always depicts for us in spiritual terms and typological terms, but in, in sacramental terms mainly, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say that we partake of this supper by choice. It is made possible because of the choice made that day, with the crowd, but ultimately of, of of God, the triune God, and Christ himself to lay down his life. That choice was made as well. But we partake of this supper by choice. We, in doing this, choose Jesus rather than Barabbas. We choose the Christ rather than rebellion. Now, many others have refused Christ. Many others have refused his supper. But I would invite you to choose Christ and to choose his supper. We have to have a fence table because you, everyone needs, uh, when I say a fence table, that means that not everyone comes. And the, the, the elders give warnings and say who should come and who shouldn't. You have to because you need to see accurately where you stand. If you don't have Christ, then you shouldn't be taking up this supper. You shouldn't have the supper apart from Christ. But let me say that you shouldn't have Christ apart from the supper. Those two things should absolutely go together. And our prayer is that all would come, all would choose Christ, and all would therefore choose this supper and receive it rightly. And so if you're not in communicant membership, and you have Christ, you believe in him, either you want to join the church or as a covenant child to come into communicant membership, then talk to John or myself and and do that. Align those two things And let us see with perfect, as much as possible, perfect clarity, every time we partake of this, the choice that we have made, one way or another. Let's pray. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, what can we say? Beyond that you are inordinately, gloriously merciful to sinners such as us, even to see this picture of this wicked terrorist, murderer, Barabbas coin free, and your own son sent to suffer and to die it is beyond our comprehension. And Lord, the fact that this gospel still stands, the world still stands, and this word and this sacrament goes forth that we might yet choose Christ, we are thankful. Heavenly Father, how we pray that you would bring all of your people to saving faith, that truly we would repent. And beyond that, Lord, that we would not do as this wicked crowd, that we would not go the way of evil men, but rather be willing to take a choice that is unpopular and always has been, to choose Christ rather than the way of sin and rebellion. And Lord, again, we pray your blessing upon this reception of the Lord's table. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.